This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, and we're here with audio and video today. Maybe you're just listening via audio, but maybe you're watching via YouTube with both audio and video. And today we're going to talk about uh, WWE's business and uh, what's going on with popularity. I guess a couple years ago, I don't know, a couple, not a couple years ago, but about a year ago, I think I wrote a, an article for Fightful.com about WWE's popularity. It's apparent to me that uh, a number of uh, metrics that you could call WWE popularity metrics were actually in decline over multiple years. Let me just look up what the, uh, the date was on that, on that Fightful article that I wrote about WWE popularity and analysis, WWE's popularity assessment, February 4th, 2019, so just about a year ago, a year and a month ago. Um, and now here we are, a year later, and WWE's popularity, uh, I think, has gone in, in this, uh, another year in the same direction. So we're going to uh, take a look at uh, a number of metrics and, and have a little talk about uh, WWE overall and just what's going on with it economically, because this is, of course, WrestleNomics. So, uh, there's been a lot of interest in WWE stock uh, since the launch of D the WWE Network in 2014, and uh, since WWE's impressive US TV rights deals that were completed in 2018, and the latter of which, the, the, the TV rights deals, of course, they just went into effect in October. Um, however, so just as, as, as good as that is, financial news for WWE, uh, the, the TV rights deals. Uh, however, there's a lot of evidence to support the notion that WWE's popularity has actually decreased over the last few years, roughly since 2016. And while revenue and profit metrics will probably be setting records for WWE for years to come due to the guaranteed escalating TV rights contracts and because of the lucrative deal uh, that they have, with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to, to provide two events per year there. Um, a, a number of key metrics and revenue streams, though, that, uh, that indicate something about consumer interest are trending down. Um, so the story with television viewership, we won't talk about television viewership when, when, when I talk in this section about WWE popularity because television viewership is complicated and television is being watched less overall. So we're going to eschew television viewership for this discussion of popularity. We will talk about television viewership and audience trends separately. So besides television viewership, there are roughly five areas with public data that we can look at to consider WWE's popularity. And those five are live event attendance, number two, merchandise sales, number three, Google web search, number four, WWE Network subscribers, and number five, YouTube views. I think I looked at a few more in my Fightful article a year ago, but I'm going to go with those five. I think I included social media or something last year. Um, but the latter two areas, those last two, WWE Network subscribers and YouTube views, those are newer forms of media. So you might think those would be skewed to, to be on the rise just due to adoption, due to the nature of them being new media. Uh, but those areas actually declined last year, so they do give us some insight about WWE's popularity. Um, so let's talk about live event attendance first. And now 
those of you watching on YouTube, you're, you're really at a benefit here because you are going to see the graphs, the beautiful, colorful graphs that I've prepared here. So popularity, live event attendance, uh, total attendance, which is right here, was gradually on the rise uh, from 2012 to 2017. Uh, broke 2 million in 2015. First time it had, it had done that since 2009 over here. Uh, but we've been seeing average attendance, average North American attendance, decline since the year of 2016, where it was down slightly from the year prior, and it's been declining ever since. Uh, but so in 2016, although average attendance declined a little bit, uh, that was offset by the fact that WWE was running more events and by the fact that, you know, international attendance was still looking real strong. You can see the, the 7,500 average in 2016. Uh, the year prior to that, it was slightly less, you know, 7,300. So it was better in 2016 than it was in the year prior. Um, but since 2017, there have been declines in both average attendance and total attendance, both domestically and internationally. Um, here, here's the, the total attendance. You can see it's all in one, one picture here on YouTube, where you can see that total attendance internationally is down. Total attendance in North America is down. Average attendance in North America is down. International average attendance is down. Total attendance worldwide is down. And WWE now, because uh, they're, they're having a hard time making a profit in non-WrestleMania quarters on their live events division. They're, they are running fewer events. So secondly, we will talk about merchandise sales. Uh, and so, so merchandise sales are somewhat, but not completely related to live event attendance. Sales uh, at venues account for about 37% of WWE's merchandise sales. And online sales make up the rest, which is the majority. Um, Venue merchandise sales uh, have declined, which is in the light red here, the pink as some people call it. Um, venue merchandise sales have declined since 2016, okay? So it's down from 2016 to 17, down in 18, and down in 19. Um, and that's reflective of the decline in attendance. Uh, so you can see you know, total attendance from you know 2017, 2018, 2019, total attendance is down, and venue merchandise sales have been down almost on the same timeline. Um, sales per capita, though, in, at least in North America, pretty stable, okay? Always in this 9 to $10 range, okay? And so that shows that that, that decline, the venue merchandise decline, is largely related to attendance, Just which makes sense. The more, the more people you have at your events, the more venue merchandise sales you're making. However, after years of strong growth, uh, in the e-commerce, in the online sales department. You can see the really strong growth here. The, the, the early 2010s, you're making $14, 15000000 million. And then all of a sudden, 2014, it really starts to grow to 20, to 27 the following year, to 37, the following, sorry, 35 the following year, to 38 in 2017, 35 in 2018, uh, and then down to uh, 31 in 2019. So down those uh, last two years. So that's also reflected here in WWE online merchandise orders, right? So it's not just that they're making less money, but they are in fact receiving fewer orders. <clears throat> so that's merchandise. And we'll talk about Google web search. Now Google web search, of course, doesn't generate WWE any money, but I think Google web search is relevant to this discussion because I think it gives you an idea of how much people are thinking about WWE. And I know Google web search 
uh, oftentimes Google web search, you'll see a surge in Google web search because when something debuts or something first comes out. So that can be skewing. You'll also see you know, problems with the assessment that I'm trying to make here when, you know, I, in, in WB's case, you see a big surge in Google web search in 2007. And that's not because business was necessarily great in 2007, but that's because uh, that's when Chris Benoit killed his family and himself. And there was a lot of attention directed at WB. So Google web search doesn't necessarily always indicate that something positive is happening. Uh, but Google web search, I think, does indicate whether or not people are thinking about you. So Google web search uh, peaks in 2016. And this is an index, by the way. These aren't raw searches, but these are, this is uh, monthly data. Uh, that I calculated into annual data. So I just averaged the month for each given year in, and this is the number that we have. So, so no number here in this graph reaches 100, but the highest number on the graph from 2010 to 2019 is 71, with, which came from the year 2016. So, so Google Web Search really peaks uh, in 2016, at least in this decade. And uh, after 2016, uh, it, it declines each year following, uh, down to 57 in 2017 down again in 2018 and down again in 2019, down to the point where it's about half of what it was in 2019 as compared to 2016. Almost half searches cut in half. So that's worldwide. Uh, in the US, it's not as dramatic, but the peak uh, does come in 2016, just like it does worldwide, and it declines each year following. And I can tell you, and I think there's a table later in this document where uh, you'll see a similar pattern uh, for WB's other major markets, including the UK, India, and Canada. So next, that's Google Web Search. Next, W Network subscribers. So here's a graph of the W Network's entire history from Q1 2014, and for each quarter following right up to the present, W is projecting a, a number for Q1. So it's important to know that W Network W network subscriptions are subject to seasonality because there's always a peak interest, usually in Q2, because that's when WrestleMania is taking place. Uh, so it's important to look at W network subscribers on a year-over-year -year basis. Um, you want to take a given quarter and compare that quarter to the same quarter in the prior year. So that's what we've done here. We're taking the years of 2016, 17, and 18, and 19, and lining up all the quarters next to each other. And what you see is growth in each year starting with 2016, going on through 17 and 18, until, and even going into a Q1 2019, there's growth compared to the Q1s of the prior years, until we get to Q2 of 2019. And that quarter is down from the same quarter of the prior year. Q3 2019, down from the same quarter of the prior year. Q4 2019, down from the same quarter of the prior year. WB's projection for Q1 2020 is 1.47 million, and that would be down from the Q1 of 2019, which was uh, over 1.5 million. So what's happening here? We can break this down into U.S. and international as well, and we see that there was a slight in, uh, decrease even in Q1 2019, which is the quarter, the, the Q1 of the, of the prior year, and uh, but but by Q2 2019, uh, that decline happens in the international market as well. And we can look at the day after WrestleMania. So each year, uh, WB gives us the number on the day after WrestleMania. They used to hold a special conference call on uh, on Monday morning and tell you the number right away. Uh, they didn't do that in 2019, uh, but they but they have 
uh, reported what that number is in in the following quarterly reports that we had to wait oh, a, a number of weeks, I think, to get the WrestleMania number this year. And the reason why they probably didn't hold a, a, a special conference call is because that number was down from the prior year, down 6%. So the W Network clearly reaching its its saturation point, reaching its peak in 2019. And now mature enough to the point where it, it I think it does tell us something about popularity. So that's the W Network onto YouTube. So as YouTube has become more widely used overall, uh, the views on W's YouTube channel have grown rapidly and they get billions of views, video views per year. It's one of the most popular channels on YouTube. And you can see the growth from 4 billion in 2015, 6 billion in 2016, 6 and a half billion in 2017, then 10 billion, almost doubling in 2018, and then down to 9.1 billion in 2019. Yeah. But but let's be charitable charitable to WWE. They they prefer to tell you, let me see if I can drag this into the into view here. They prefer to to look at all AVOD. And AVOD stands for Ad Supported Video On Demand. And if you read the fine print down here, it says AVOD is Ad Supported Video On Demand. Consumption includes videos viewed on third party, that is Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and WWE platforms, which include the W.com and the WB app, uh, yada, yada, yada. Q4 2019 figures even include TikTok. So, yeah, so, so there, uh, if you add these up, which of course I have, the 2019 numbers actually are bigger than the 2018 numbers, both for global views and for hours viewed. Um, but strictly talking YouTube, uh, it is it is down in 2019 versus the prior year. And and YouTube, by the way, uh, does generate some revenue. Uh, I believe Laura Martin from Needham mentioned sort of offhandedly in a in one of George Barrios's last conference calls as a representative of WWE. I think she she mentioned uh, offhandedly that uh, she estimated that WWE was making. $20 million in revenue from YouTube. And I, I, I don't believe that W is making much, if any, revenue from the other video platforms, uh, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. So that's YouTube. Uh, when I have a, a quarterly comparison as well, so you can see that uh, in Q1, it was down. Q2, it was slightly up. Q3, it was down. And Q4, it was slightly up. So that's that's the uh, the quarterly breakdown for the the decline there. So to review these five metrics, uh, and I'm even going to talk about a sixth one actually, which is consumer product licensing. But the, these metrics, uh, when did they all start to decline? Some of them uh, started to decline, to decline earlier, and some of them declined later. Um, we see Google Web Search that that decline started in 2017. Uh, attendance, at least total attendance, that decline started in 2018. Actually, average North American. Uh, attendance declined a little bit earlier than that. Uh, merchandise, that started to decline in 2018. And consumer product licensing revenue, which accounts for, uh, which which may be, the, these declines may be related to maybe, I, we, we don't know, SEC filings don't really give us any uh, disclosure about what exactly is happening here. But uh, the, this is revenue that's related to uh, WWE's deals to, uh, to Mattel to do action figures and to 2K sports, to do the video game, and to, I, I think they may have, uh, is it IGN? I think they may have multiple partners who are doing mobile games for them. So so action figures, video games, and, and mobile games largely make up this category. So, so it's possible this decline that we see in, in starting in 2018 and continuing through 2019 could be related to uh, the decrease in sales for maybe the video game and maybe 
be action figures as well. And then we see finally uh, the WWE Network declines in 2019, and YouTube also declines in 2019. So that this is kind of in chronological order in terms of the start of the decline. So Google Web Search, what can you say? It doesn't generate revenue when you when you type WWE into your Google machine. It doesn't it doesn't make WWE any money, uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, but it, it was a bellwether for signaling this decline that 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 followed from. Uh, after 2019, sort of beginning in 2017. So I think I think there's a, a strong case here that popularity has declined, uh, especially based on the, all these metrics that uh, have to do with actual consumer consumption. Um, but let's understand that W is is very strong financially. Uh, they'll continue to break their total revenue records likely through 2024 due to TV rights. Uh, if you look at the, this graph. I have here showing W's total revenue uh, from 2015 through 2019. It's grown each year. WWE set a revenue record again. It broke its record that it set the previous year. In 2019, W generated $960 million. Now, they, they were projecting at one point to generate $1 billion. Hit that four, well, that's no, it's more than four digits. How many digits are in, in a billion? Nine, 10, 10, I think, right? Yes, 10. ten. ten the 10 digit, digit milestone. Uh, but they didn't make it. Uh, largely due probably to uh, this declining popularity that we're talking about. And uh, they did not complete the uh, Middle East North Africa TV deal that they hoped they would. But what I would like to do now is separate WWE's uh, revenue segments into two discrete categories. This will not be a perfect separation, but I think it's pretty close. It's close enough to tell the story that I want to tell here. So we're going to break... Uh, I'm sorry. I've, I've just, I'm such a format obsessive. That I've noticed uh, this in, in this view, this is looking a little bit different. But but anyway, I'm going to break WWE's uh, revenue segments into two different categories. Uh, direct-to-consumer and business-to-business. -business. So direct-to-consumer. That, that, what I mean by that is that's money that, that the consumer pays directly to WWE. And business-to-business -business is money that WWE gets... Uh, from its business partners. Sort of indirectly, it's coming from consumers, uh, but it's coming directly from businesses. So so what revenue segments go into this business-to-business -business category? Core content rights fees. That's the money that WWE gets from its TV broadcasters, like NBC Universal, which is the parent company of the USA Network, and from Fox for airing Raw and SmackDown and for its various partners internationally. So that money goes into business to, to business. Uh, the advertising and sponsorship in its media segments. So that's the uh, the advertisements and sponsors that you see uh, during Raw or during W Network events. That goes into business to business. And the other segment in media, that, that consists of Kingdom of Saudi Arabia money for the big events twice a year. And that consists of W Studios. And w Studios, you could argue, is a uh, is a direct to consumer thing. W Studios revenue is probably made up up of uh, is driven by sales uh, from consumers. Uh, also, in the other segment is uh, revenue from reality TV shows like Total Divas, Total Bellas, Miz and Misses. In some years, there's mixed match challenge money in here from Facebook, and there's home entertainment. The 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 dwindling uh, in a previous era, home entertainment was was broken out. Separately, these are DVD sales or whatever, I don't know, whatever digital video sales W is making at this point. I'm not, I'm not even aware of how one would purchase such a thing. 
but so there there is uh, some some pieces of revenue within this other segment that are definitely uh, have a stronger argument for direct to consumer than business to business. But the vast majority of the revenue that is in this segment, uh, namely the Saudi Arabia money and the reality TV money, uh, that makes more sense to me to put into business to business. So the the one more category for business to business that's the advertising and sponsors. Uh, related to live events, and uh, that goes into business to business. So all the rest is direct to consumer. W network subscriptions, which you know, also this network segment that they have, also includes pay per view sales. Whatever pay per view sales are still happening, uh, also in direct to consumer, North American ticket sales, international ticket sales, the other segment of live events, which includes travel packages and fees from secondary ticket sellers. And in one year, uh, 2018, it includes the big Australia event, Super Showdown, because that was some sort of deal where it was basically a bot show. So also going into direct-to-consumer is all three segments of the consumer products division. Consumer product licensing, again, that's toys, uh, video games, console games, excuse me, console games and mobile games, venue merchandise, and e-commerce, that's online merchandise sales. That goes, though all three of those go into, into direct-to-consumer. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24 seven customer support. And you'll love this. None of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a smart lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car. If I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys and the two way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And so I've graphed this out for the last five years, 2015 to 2019, and you can watch the uh, the story unfold. In 2015, direct-to-consumer is a bigger segment uh, than business-to-business by $100 million. The score is 30 to 80 in favor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 380 to 280 in favor of direct-to-consumer. And the, the following year, not much changes. Uh, direct-to-consumer grows by about 12%. Business to business grows by about 9%. And uh, the following year, business to business actually grows more than direct to consumer. And, and why does that start to happen? I guess, you know, core content rights fees are escalating. There's no Saudi money yet. But I guess it's mostly related to, to core content rights fees. And then we get to 2018, where the direct to consumer category actually declines by 2%. It's down to $444 million And... The business to business category explodes with a, with a 40% increase up to $486 million. And of course, this is the first year, 2018, that contains two Saudi Arabia events, which I believe are worth in, in themselves $100 million, maybe a little bit more. And in 2018, core content rights fees are guaranteed to escalate as well. And not only is there a big increase in business to business and a slight decrease in direct to consumer, but, but look, business to business has exceeded direct-to-consumer, 486 to 444. And in the following year, that, that lead is increased, $561 million in business-to-business -to, -business to 400 in direct-to-consumer. Direct-to-consumer decreases by 10%. That's right, 10%. And, and I think that's, that's just the, related to the, the decrease in, in these revenue streams like ticket sales, W Network subscribers, are on in the decline. Uh, licensing is in the decline, and merchandise sales are in a in a decline. So, so thank God for this this media environment, and uh, and then there's lots of Saudi blood money to go around. Hello, everybody. And speaking of numbers, on average, if you were to guess, how many days do you think people in the U.S. wait to see a doctor with our healthcare system? What would you say? Americans have to wait about 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. That's why I'm supporting Medicare for all. I mean, if, I'm sorry, if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman, not Roman Reigns, but Roman, have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment that you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you free with two-day shipping. You can also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to roman.com slash VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. So why is this happening? Uh, 
While maybe some of the decline can be explained by pointing to external factors like the increase in entertainment options. Like I know there are people out there who will say, well, look, you've got all these entertainment options and everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket and you can watch all this streaming content and there's a million channels if you got linear TV still. You know, nobody, there's so much wrestling content out there and YouTube has got a zillion hours of video for free. Nobody goes to live events anymore. The experience in the home is so much better. I mean, you, you can come up with a, a million reasons why, why why something isn't happening. You know, the, the, the weather was bad and there was a baseball game across town. You know, and, and the checks come in next week, not this week. And, and all these terrible things happen. But as, as Paul Bosch is said to, to have said, you know, the reason why the main event didn't draw is because I put on a main event that no one wanted to pay to see. But uh, I, I believe W's decline in popularity and W's decline in rev revenue metrics, W's decline in revenue uh, that is generated directly by consumers, uh, these declines are largely due, I believe, to W's difficulty creating uh, major stars and because of the quality of its content. You know, it's about the product that they produce. It's about what they get or don't get out of the personalities. Uh, like many other forms of sports and entertainment, star power, cultivating popular personalities has always been a key factor in the ups and downs of wrestling's popularity, and usually its business, uh, throughout the history of pro wrestling. Uh, WWE's two most popular eras were the, in the mid-80s, coinciding with the rise of Hulk Hogan, and in the late 90s, the Attitude Era, coinciding with the emergence of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. I think creating difference-making stars is especially urgent to WWE right now because John Cena, the biggest star that they've produced since The Rock, is basically semi-retired now and has moved on to pursue an acting career. It just so happens that the timing of these declines that I just went over coincides with the timing of John Cena appearing less and less on WWE programming. And, uh, and yes, I do have a graph for that. Let me just see if I can pull that over here. Uh, I think that's in view. The count of John Cena's matches in WWE throughout his entire WWE career, or at least through, yeah, his entire, his entire WWE career. He hasn't had a match in 2020 yet. Uh, 2001 to 2019. And uh, you can see he's having hundreds of matches uh, throughout almost every year uh, between 2002 and 2015, with the exception of 2008, which is a year that he was probably injured, right? He made the... Uh, Big comeback in a, in a Royal Rumble. Anyway, I don't know. He, but he wrestles over 100 matches in almost every year uh, from 2002 to 2015. And he, I, I remember this well. He has a shoulder injury at the end of 2015. And uh, he wrestles only, what is this, 37 matches in 2016. Uh, he wrestles more the following year. And then he wrestles a lot less in 2018. And he only has eight matches in 2019. And again, what are the years where we really start to see the, the declines in some of W's metrics? It's, it's 2018, 2019, and, and somewhat in 2017 as well. So pull that out of the way and go back to our thing here. So now we can talk about reception, reception of W's main roster pay-per-view events. So to get some sense of the trajectory of the quality of the content of W's programming, I've, I've studied feedback from two different sources, which are, brace yourself, Wrestling Observer newsletter polls and event ratings from the wrestling database website, cagematch.net, one of my favorite websites in the entire internet. Uh, these two entities collect 
fan responses to major W events. So these are the pay-per-views. These are the events that are to pay off the storylines that are developed on weekly TV. So I think they give us an idea of the reception of the content. Yes, these pay-per-views in particular, but because they're sort of the caps of storylines, maybe this gives us an even more general idea of the reception and how people are feeling about WWE content. And uh, if you look at this data, what do you know? There's a noticeable drop uh, beginning in 2017. In 2017, 18, and 19. We're in the sixes here in the entirety of the decade until you hit 2017, and now we're in the fives. Uh, similar is apparent in the observer feedback, where you've got thumbs up uh, percentages are in the 50s and 60s throughout the decade until you get to 2017, and then thumbs up percentages are in the 40s. And actually, in 2019, thumbs up percentages are in the 30s with only 34% on average. So according to uh, observer responses, things got really bad in 2019. And uh, of, of course, you can question the sources here and say, well, you know, these populations are probably made up of some of the most passionate fans. You know, these are the hardcores. And maybe these types of fans are just the hardest to satisfy. So let's let's take that for granted. So even so, I, I think the key point to learn from this data is not so much whether these populations rate the shows high or rate them low, but that the, the thing to notice here is that these populations show a trajectory of becoming less satisfied with the shows over time. And both sources are consistent over the same period of time. They, they both show the drop-off uh, in 2017, 18, and 19. So even if you think these are the hardest people to satisfy, uh, more of them were unsatisfied uh, beginning in 2017, and, and that coincides with the decline in a number of metrics. Uh, and and so and I've done an R squared and a correlation coefficient. I think that's what it's called, right? The correlation coefficient uh, to, to show that observer thumbs up and cage match ratings uh, have a, a, a somewhat strong relationship. Now, of course, critical success doesn't at all necessarily equate to economic success. Now, if that were true, you know what they say, every, that if that were true, then every uh, best picture winner would be the, the biggest blockbuster. And we all know that that's not true. Uh, yet, on the other hand, the decline in critical reception here uh, is coinciding with the decline in a number of key metrics which we reviewed a moment ago. So the argument here is not necessarily that, uh, well, if the product was better, it would be making more money, but the product, but the uh, the argument here is that the product has gotten worse and at the same time, consumer metrics have gotten worse. So maybe those two things are related. So we have this sequence of events where consumer metrics decline, uh, the satisfaction of certain of a certain population of wrestling fans with the W product has declined. So why is this happening? Well, W needs great stars, but apparently hasn't created one strongly enough. So Vince McMahon is the head of creative. He's, well, he, of course, he is the, the chairman and CEO of WB. And Vince McMahon is also the head of creative for W's main roster programming, a role he has held essentially since he took over the company in, in 1982. Uh, while he's driven W through its most popular eras, uh, I believe he has increasingly become a liability to the company in this role in more recent times. Uh, the likelihood that a difference-making star will emerge for WWE is constantly undermined by Vince's micromanaging influence over the creative and television production in a number of ways. Um, he misevaluates talent. I don't think that he has a great idea 
uh, of what a highly marketable star uh, for today's audience would be like. Um, but even even if he did, uh, talent is undermined in countless ways. Uh, talking segments uh, have become increasingly scripted. His creative team requires all on-screen personalities to use a glossary of jarring Orwellian buzzwords. Uh, wins and losses of matches often don't they don't seem to have much consequence. Uh, Storylines don't have a lot of long-term planning, uh, at least long-term plan that's followed through on. Uh, allegedly, Vince changes his mind a lot. Uh, sort of related to those two things, the continuity is often poor. Viewers are therefore punished rather than rewarded for their time spent and attention that they pay to detail. And, the, and there's a lot of uh, bad comedy that doesn't land well. It's kind of pervasive and undermines the momentum of a lot of characters. Uh, most importantly, though, uh, there's incredible tension between Vince and the audience about who's, uh, who, who the chosen star is going to be and who's going to get the intended reactions. Uh, the story of WWE Create over the last five years, at least, can basically be summarized as a struggle for power between Vince and his audience, or what he, he probably perceives as a vocal minority of his audience. Um, you know, I, I think Dave Meltzer's told a story once, and I don't know if it's something that, that is about Vince McMahon or uh, if it's something that he believes, but I think it applies to, uh, to how he approaches creative in that there are three kinds of wrestling promoters. There's the bad wrestling promoter who just doesn't listen to the fans and just does whatever he wants. That's the bad kind of wrestling promoter. Then the second kind is, is an okay kind of wrestling promoter. You know, he listens to the fans and he gives them what, what they want. You know, that's an okay promoter. But the best kind of promoter is the one who manipulates the fans into wanting what the promoter wants. So I, I think that's how Vince approaches uh, creative. He wants to be the one in control. And you've got an audience that's super aware of what's going on. And maybe, maybe it was aware that he wants to be in control. And so there's a, a great amount of tension between these two parties. And I think that that's, it's best exemplified in, in the on-screen career of Roman Reigns, who is WWE's latest chosen star. Um, yeah, with a slightly less aware audience in the prior era, it was John Cena who got mixed reactions. But in this era of, of smartphones and ubiquitous internet, uh, even more fans are hyper-aware of the creative process and the work that goes into storylines. And fans uh, increasingly don't provide the intended crowd reactions. Often characters that are supposed to be cheered as, as top stars are booed, and those that are supposed to be villains are, are cheered. And all this too, I think, is complicated by W's storytelling not having a strong moral center. But um, rather than adapt to a changing audience, I think it's, it's apparent Vince insists on trying to right the ship. In response to the tension, it seems some creative decisions and storylines are often played out in such a way that Vince, so that Vince can essentially prove that his initial impressions or his initial decisions about a character's marketability were, were right all along. Uh, the idea that Vince knows best, uh, he knows best how to appeal to the widest possible audience, uh, which I think is an exaggerated premise, if it has much uh, truth to it at all at this point. Uh, I, I think what's actually going on is you know, Vince is projecting his own personal taste, his own personal preference about pro wrestling or sports entertainment uh, onto a wider audience, which supposedly exists, but just happens to be absent. 
and and actually amid all this dysfunction, his actual audience is measurably declining. And so th there's a there's a defense to this point of view that I just laid out, uh, which is that there's this vocal minority. Uh, the, the, this is a phrase that that Vince used himself in a, on a conference call in 2015. There is a vocal minority in the current audience that's disproportionately amplified, and they're just extremely difficult to pacify. Uh, they basically can't be won over in terms of getting the intended crowd reactions. This portion of the audience can sense who the company is getting behind and wh whether it's Reigns or Cena before him, you know, the, the, this vocal minority, their opinions are so diverse that in inevitably they're going to reject whoever they perceive to be the chosen star. So it's, it's basically impossible to cultivate a huge difference making star in the presence of this fan group. Who are very passionate and it's this vocal minority of fans who who are rejecting w's chosen heroes who are actually the biggest consumers of the product so it's it's frustrating these, these people are kind of hypocrites so the defense goes so their, their discontent isn't even backed up by any direct economic consequence from themselves meanwhile on you know and on the trending schedules and on the balance sheet w is breaking its financial records uh, so if some of the audience has turned away from the product it's largely because of these confusing reactions generated by this vocal minority. Again, that's the defense. Um, I believe that the vocal minority, uh, which I'm not sure is actually a minority, uh, is a symptom of W's broken and distrustful relationship with its audience. I, I believe the differences in how you appease the passionate fan and how you attract a wider audience are largely exaggerated to justify the increasing differences in taste between the company's decision maker and the consumer base. I, th I think if, if if you use this narrative that it's just the hardcores that are around, I think it's it's the, the people who are willing to deal with the most resistance, who are willing to uh, stick around through the worst, the worst content, who haven't been chased off yet. But for whatever you think the reasons are, there have been economic consequences. Many people have disengaged. That's evident in the trends of revenue streams and metrics that are indicative of consumer interests, which were again discussed a, mom, a moment ago. But WB is still a popular brand. It's it's pop, still popular enough to do great business in this environment. Clearly, uh, it, it's just that WB's popularity is declining. Uh, so WB is setting financial records almost completely because it has a strong brand and it's dominated its industry for a long time. It's had a long time to build up the strong brand. And the company now fortunately finds itself in a media rights market that strongly values live sports or sports like content. And, and to a lesser extent that in the financial shape that it's in because of its, because of the value that the Saudi government sees in being associated with the W brand and, and, and of course W's willingness to do business with that government. So I, I think that's a good place to, leave it at for now. Uh, I've blabbed on for almost 45 minutes. So we'll stop there and we'll pick up with some additional topics. I'll just, I'll just give a preview here. Uh, we'll probably talk next time maybe about viewership and attendance, a big picture view of Raw, SmackDown, uh, viewership and attendance trends. We'll throw some NXT and AEW in there as well. Uh, other, other things I am uh, ready to talk about. The IW's international business, what's going on with the India TV deal, UK TV deal, Mino TV deal, um, and competition, uh, which will, I'm sure will be exciting and, and an interesting topic. Uh, everything from All League Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, and when I say competition, of course, I'm talking about uh, 
WWE's <coughs> excuse me competition um, and the management shakeup uh, and the future of the WWE Network, possible future of WWE selling its pay-per-view rights to a major streaming player, and just what happened to George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, and why they're no longer co-presidents at WWE. So, so until next time, I am Brandon Thurston. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston. You can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. You can go to WrestleNomics.com and find a lot of resources, many of which were used to put together the data that you just saw. Or if you didn't see it, you heard about it. And if you didn't see it, you can go to WrestleNomics' uh, YouTube channel. If you, I don't know, go to YouTube and search WrestleNomics, you'll find it quickly. And you'll find the, the video version of, of this piece of audio. In fact, I'll probably put a link to the to the video, to the YouTube video, in the description for this podcast. In in other news, oh yeah, we're going to have to talk about coronavirus too next time. Uh, but in, in, in other news, there was a, a new lawsuit filed against WWE, uh, alleging uh, some, some some issues with uh, WWE's uh, business deal with, with Saudi Arabia, with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And uh, the prevailing wisdom so far, though, is it's not a very strong case, so don't, don't get too excited. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all that and more next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.